0: We are at the end of our series on Amos and looking at the theme of justice. And I hope it's just given you a bit of a taste and that you want to explore it further because it's such a massive issue and uh, we really have to dig into it. I don't know if you noticed, but the opening video that came from Psalm 112 uh, talked about the righteous versus the wicked. I don't know about you, whenever you read that in the Psalms, it seems kind of harsh on both sides, especially one side. And you begin to wonder, who are these wicked? Like, like, they must be really, really bad to be called wicked. And then, although wicked can be good too, right? But back then, we think the wicked, really, really bad. And who are the righteous? Well, the righteous must be really, really good. But it's not actually the case. The delight, dividing line is whether or not they pursue the will of God. And what is the will of God? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And often the litmus test, the test on whether you're (laughs) righteous or wicked, is how you treat the poor. It's actually how you treat the most vulnerable. And then we find that again and again in society. Those who abuse the most vulnerable, who uh, take them to court and take away their cloaks and uh, demand, uh, you know, loans off of them and payback and debt, they're the wicked. Uh, But those who treat the poor, as Jesus instructs us, as God instructs us to love our neighbor as ourselves they're the righteous. So this whole idea of justice is, is a dividing line all throughout the Bible. And we need to be on the right side of that line as we go through this. So that's, uh, that's my mini sermon before the sermon. And now we get to the sermon. Here's the recap, just in case you're tuning in right now. You could go back and watch all the other messages or just listen to this two minute recap. We're dealing with Amos who is our favorite, what? Blue collar prophet, right? Uh, Amos is a working guy. He doesn't come from a prophetic background. He has no official credentials or degrees, and, uh, but he has a message. He has a message from God. And even though he's from the south, the southern kingdom of Judah, his message is for the north. It's for Israel. Now think about that for a moment. I would not like to be in Amos's shoes. It'd be like trying to preach in Edmonton wearing a Calgary Flames jersey. You can do it, but it's not advised. It's kind of like that. You can do it. You can go up to Israel and declare the message, but you will not be welcome. And that was uh, Amos's uh, problem. Now remember, Israel in the north was a place of prosperity, affluence, and peace. Now I want to say this again. That was not their problem. It, that wasn't the problem at all. There's God had no issue with that because God had given them that. <laughs> that sense of prosperity and peace and affluence, those were gifts God promised. I'm going to lead you into a land flowing with milk and honey. And that's the idea that God gives these gifts. The problem is they had forgotten about God and they oppressed the poor. That they were sustaining their affluence on the backs of others, especially on the backs of those who were vulnerable. That was the issue. And so Amos calls out their hypocrisy. If you take nothing else away from this, Just understand how much God hates hypocrisy. You really get that sense all throughout the book of Amos. God says, I'm disgusted at your worship because you're saying one thing with your mouth and then you're going out and you're treating your neighbors like dirt. I hate hypocrisy. And I think that's been the the Achilles heel of the church throughout the ages is this kind of hypocrisy that goes on. We claim to know God. We claim to love God. But then we treat one another poorly, and we treat our neighbor poorly as well. So that's a big, hard message of Amos that comes right down to us. And so Amos says, the most famous verse, But let justice roll on like a river, and righteousness like a never-failing stream. And there's, that's a beautiful image, but it's also a little bit ominous. Because justice, if you're on the wrong side of that line, that river is going to sweep you away. If you're on the right side of that wrong line, then the river of justice is beautiful. And that's partly what we're dealing with in Amos. So we've learned a number of things about justice. And when we use that word, it can mean a lot of things Uh, in common uh, language as we talk. Often we use the word justice to talk about fairness, right? So if something's not fair then we say it's not just. And sometimes we determine fairness different ways. That's part of the problem. But that's part of it. But the other idea of justice has to do with consequences. The punishment should fit the crime. People should not get away with murder. And so we expect justice that way too. And so we've been using two words, restorative justice, to talk about restoring fair and right relationships, both with one another, with God, with creation around us, but also retributive justice, which means that the punishment should fit the crime. And we want to make sure that we're not on the punishment end of justice when it comes to that. So we looked at the heart of justice. This is really important. The heart of justice is found in the character of God and the covenant he makes with his people. And that's important because in today's society, we wonder where is the Locus, where is the standard of justice held? Is it in the masses? Do we have sort of a a moral majority that determines what justice looks like? No, that's really dangerous, actually. Or do we just sense it in ourselves? We know what it feels like to be treated kindly, and so that establishes justice. That can be really dangerous, too. And so we need to look at something outside of the system in order to determine justice. That's why revelation, that's one of the key doctrines of the Christian faith, the key teachings, is that God has spoken into our reality. And he's spoken in out of his character, out of his being. God's words and his character are indistinguishable. They are together. And so we find the heart of justice in the character of God. So, do you want to know what justice is like? Get to know God. If you're not sure how to get to know God, look to Jesus. Because Jesus is the express image of the invisible God. So if you're ever confused about what God looks like, read the Gospels. Find out what Jesus is like. Because then we'll know God and his heart will see what justice looks like. That's the heart of justice. We talked about a hallmark of justice being, and I just picked one. We could talk about a lot. Being generosity. Generosity is a hallmark of justice. That is, in the Old Testament, leaving the edges Not harvesting out to the edges of the field. So leaving the edges because they rightfully belong to those who are vulnerable. And this is a radical concept if we really get into it that there are others in our lives, others that we maybe don't even know, that have a rightful claim to our wealth. Hmm. I thought it was mine. And yet the Bible says we are actually stewards, it doesn't belong to us. (laughs) Uh, We are stewards of all that we have and at least leave the edges because they rightfully belong to those who need them. So that's a big hallmark of justice. Okay, hardship of justice. I think I was stretching because I wanted everything to be an H. Um, But the hardship of justice is a little bit to do with uh, repentance. That's a big part of justice. Uh, But also the judgment side. Uh, The northern kingdom of Israel was under judgment. Amos had to deliver that hard, hard message but they're under judgment because they forgot something. And this is another kind of hardship, and that is advocacy. They forgot to speak on behalf of the poor. So it's not enough just to passively leave room for others. Justice demands that we actually take action and that we give voice to those who are vulnerable and that we address the structures that perpetuate injustice. There was a, um, a quote that I wanted to um, share on this, this theme, because in the Bible, we talk about speaking on behalf of the poor, but also breaking the fangs of the wicked, so the poor can no longer be harmed, or those who are vulnerable can no longer be harmed. The quote is, is from um, Martin Luther King Jr., and it's, it gives this idea of the stages of advocacy that we talked about last week. Here it is. On the one hand, we are called to play the Good Samaritan on life's roadside, but that will only be an initial act. One day we must come to see that the whole Jericho road must be transformed so that men and women will not be constantly beaten and robbed as they make their journey on life's highway. That's the hard part, isn't it? And, and that's the part I, I don't have easy answers. I think we've tasted that a little bit, but we need to keep pursuing that. Uh, so that our advocacy doesn't just stop at meeting the physical need, but, but we go upstream, we go to the road, we find out what's broken in the system so that we can help keep people from falling down the same trap. So, all of that, heart of justice, hallmark of justice, hardship of justice. Today, my last H that I could find in my thesaurus. Um, the hope for justice, and it actually fits, uh, because Amos keeps just a little bit of hope, for the very end, it's a pretty drastic book if you read it through, and most of the prophets they pepper the whole story with bits of hope. Amos saves it for a few verses at the end, and we're going to read it right now. And uh, it's found in Amos chapter nine, and I'm going to be reading verses eight through fifteen. And the first uh, few verses are just kind of um, uh, carry over from the the beginning of the passage. It's really verse 11 that we're going to be focusing on and following. Okay. Surely the eyes of the sovereign Lord are on the sinful kingdom. I will destroy it from the face of the earth. Yet I will not totally destroy the descendants of Jacob, declares the Lord. For I will give the command, and I will shake the people of Israel among all the nations, as grain is shaken in a sieve, and not a pebble will reach the ground. All the sinners among my people... Will die by the sword, and all those who say disaster will not overtake or meet us. In that day, I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins and will rebuild it as it used to be, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who will do these things. The days are coming, declares the Lord. When the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman, and the planter by the one treading grapes, new wine will drip from the mountains. Some of you just woke up right now and said, what? (laughs) And flow from all the hills, and I will bring my people Israel back from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted. From the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. There is the hope of justice that we find right at the tail end of Amos. So the passage, did you catch it? it? It paints a picture for us, especially those last verses. Paints a picture of renewed prosperity and peace after a time of judgment. That's what's happening in the passage. And it's an interesting phrase, talking about the reaper and the plowman Uh, The plowman overtaking the reaper in the field. When I first read that, I I imagined like some guy running after another guy and tackling him down and, you know, I don't know what he was going to do, but it sounded kind of violent. But actually what they're saying there and what Amos is saying is that the seasons between sort of planting and harvest, it will be so short that it'll just be back to back, back to back. Uh, The other day, uh, Christine and I went out on our motorbike and we rode to... um, where did we go? To Drumheller. She says pick we went to several destinations. Went to Drumheller and we had to stop at one point on the side of the road to try and take some pictures of the combine harvesters just going through the field. It's amazing to. I just love watching it. I love work especially if I just get to watch it being done. And here it was before our eyes. But the reality is in our area there's like 7 months between harvesting and sowing again, right? And so what this passage is saying is there won't be that kind of gap. He's not talking about it literally. He's talking about a picture of the land's going to be so prosperous that it'll just be harvest, plant, harvest, plant, harvest, plant, all the way along. It's going to be that exciting, that prosperous will be the land. And then he goes on to talk about planting vineyards. And this talks about peace. Because if you're in a time of instability, don't plant a vineyard (laughs) because a vineyard takes about seven years to produce something that's worthwhile. And so you only plant a vineyard in times of peace because you've got to be around to harvest your crop and a crop that's going to be worthwhile. And so the image that we get here is a time of unprecedented prosperity, unprecedented peace. And that's what's being conveyed to us. But wait a minute, (laughs) didn't Israel already have that? what's happening here? Um, But remember, that wasn't the problem. The problem was what? They had that and they forgot God and oppressed the poor. They were kind of like the church in Revelation chapter three. Jesus says this to the church, you say I am rich and have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. That was Israel at the time. They thought they had everything. Maybe that's us. In our generation, we thought we've got everything. We don't need a thing. And maybe don't realize that we're spiritually and morally bankrupt. That's a dangerous thing when you are lulled by your affluence into thinking that you're okay. And so that's the the wake-up call here. And the restoration to prosperity and peace is going to look different. So two questions again that I want to ask of this renewal, this time of prosperity and peace. First of all, how will this be achieved? And this is really important. It will be achieved because God will do it. Now that sounds like the obvious answer, right? But it's super, super important. Because unlike a lot of other prophecies, this is not conditional on anything. This isn't conditional on repentance or good behavior or human efforts. The passage just says, The Lord your God will do it. He's just going to do it. There's no if-then statements. Do you know what I mean? We find it in other passages in the Bible. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. Right? But there's no if-then statement here. It's just God is going to, he's just going to do it. It's not going to be dependent on their repentance. It's not going to be even dependent on whether or not they learn their lesson. In the end, God is going to bring this restoration. And that's what we call redemptive justice. When God intervenes, even beyond what we are stumbling about and trying to do and getting wrong. And God brings about redemptive, a redemptive act of justice. God's intervention to bring a justice that we can't achieve and don't deserve. That's a new level of justice that we're being introduced to. So when will this be achieved? We're all wondering. When are we going to be able to plant our crops and harvest the same time? I have to give an update on my tomato plants. I got a harvest today. I have five tomatoes, and I'm so proud of myself. I'm going to eat one at home, and then one tomorrow. And <laughs> Anyway, I'm not a great gardener, obviously, and not a great harvester, uh, but it's not talking literally about those things. It's painting a picture for us. So when will this be achieved? This might be surprising to you. It already has happened. And you're like, what? How is that possible? Now, I'm not talking about the return from exile under Ezra and Nehemiah. That happened. But but Israel, Judah, were never back to their former glory. Uh, they were back in the land. They tried to rebuild the walls and the temple Some people cried their eyes out when they saw the temple, not for tears of joy, but they were so disappointed with what happened because it was nowhere near the former glory of what they had experienced. And I'm not talking about the creation of the state of Israel in 1948. That's not what I'm talking about either. What I'm talking about is the cross of Jesus. That's where justice happened. And until we understand the cross we won't be able to understand the fulfillment of this prophecy and we won't be able to understand justice. It's at the cross that Jesus stands in solidarity with every victim of injustice. It's at the cross. Miroslav Volf, one of my professors, and he wrote a great book, Exclusion and Embrace, and he mentions this. On the cross, Jesus both identifies God with the victims of violence, and identifies the victims with God so that they are put under God's protection and with him are given the rights of which they have been deprived. There is an identification as Jesus stretches out his hands, an identification of God with the victims of injustice. That's happening at the cross. That's redemptive justice at the cross. But at the cross, Jesus also extends forgiveness to those who are the oppressors. That's the amazing thing. Just as he he lifts out his hands and identifies with the victims, he opens his arms to embrace those who have been the oppressors. And he says, Father, forgive them. And to the thief, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. That's redemptive justice. That's a whole other level of justice. It's at the cross that Jesus exposes the injustice of the religious and state powers. As he is there on the cross as an innocent man, He exposes the systems of injustice. And we're told that in Colossians chapter 2, that Jesus made made a, a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is what Jesus is doing at the cross. And at the cross, Jesus reveals how God can remain just and still justify sinners. That's the problem, right? Because if we are all sinners and we've done wrong, how can God let us get away with it? That's not fair. That's not just. The only answer to that that makes sense is the cross. Because Jesus Himself takes our punishment on Himself on the tree so that we might have the righteousness of Christ. Not our own, but Jesus shares His righteousness with us. That's how God can remain just and still justify sinners. Romans chapter 3, great chapter. Go home and read it today. That's your homework assignment. Um, Here's what it says in a slightly different version. God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world to clear that world of sin. Having faith in him sets us in the clear. God decided on this course of action in full view of the public to set the world in a clear with himself through the sacrifice of Jesus. Finally taking care of the sins he had so patiently endured. This is not only clear, but it is now. This is current history. God sets things right. He also makes it possible for us to live in his rightness. Or as it says in the NIV, he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Justice Redemptive justice is found at the cross, and we're invited to participate in it. That's a starting point for us when it comes to justice, and it's so important. How do we see this playing out in the early church? Well, I gave you another scenario from, I think it was Acts chapter 6, before an issue of justice of the widows who are being overlooked. Here's another issue of justice that comes up in Acts chapter 15. In Acts 15, the council is meeting in Jerusalem. Now, at that time, it seems like James was in charge. He was the one that kind of spoke up after everybody had their say. And uh, what was happening was the gospel was going out to the nations, going out to the Gentiles, those who were not Jewish. And they were beginning to see the same signs of the Spirit in these Gentile believers as they saw the day of Pentecost. And their minds were blown by it. What do they do with it? How do these Gentile believers become part of the community? Should we make them get circumcised? Should we make them obey the 613 laws? What should they have to do? What hoops do they jump through in order to belong? It's an issue of justice. What is fair in order to bring these relationships together? The conclusion that James gave and the whole council gave is this. That we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Yes, adult circumcision would have been a difficulty. He says, Do not make it difficult for people, for the Gentiles who are turning to God. What did they base that on? This is my point. They based it on Amos. This is the one main quote of Amos in the New Testament. It's found in Acts chapter 15. And this is what James says Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written, as directly from the passage we just read. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. This is the fulfillment of Amos. The fulfillment of Amos, this peace, this time of peace, this time of prosperity is actually this spiritual unification. The building of the church from those who were Gentiles and those who were Jewish backgrounds coming together in peace around the cross of Jesus. This is a justice issue, and we're seeing it taking place even now. We can experience it now. The restoration of peace promised in Amos is fulfilled in the message of the gospel and the fair and just inclusion of all because of the cross of Jesus. It's a lesson to us in the church, I think. I think in the church sometimes and over the generations, we've made it very difficult sometimes for people to belong. We've put up all kinds of barriers. I I think sometimes our hypocrisy in the church has made it difficult for people to belong. And so we have to take this message to heart The fulfillment of Amos is to see the peace that comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the church is called to live out this redemptive justice of God through the gospel of Jesus. God has made it possible for you and I to live out his rightness in the world. We won't do it perfectly, but we'll do it because Jesus gives us his righteousness to do it. Now, I know that some people in the church, and I've had this quoted to me from time to time, love to quote Matthew chapter 26. Do you know it? That's okay. I'm going to let you think about it for a minute. There's a story in Matthew chapter 26, and there's a line in that story where Jesus says, Well, the poor you will always have with you. And people say, You see, we need to focus on people's spiritual needs. Because the poor are always going to be around. It's a problem you just can't solve. So why bother? The, the vulnerable poor, you know, maybe throw them a bone once in a while. But generally, Jesus says they're always going to be around. So it's best for the church to focus on spiritual needs. I wholeheartedly disagree with that. And, and mostly because when Jesus quoted that little segment of the verse, he was invoking the whole passage. And when we go back to the original passage... In Deuteronomy, this is what we read. For the poor will always, you will always have with you in the land. That's part we know. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. (laughs) They're always going to be around, so open your hands. Open your hands in justice. And that's part of what Jesus is saying to us. And that's part of the challenge of justice. So this is the challenge of living out God's redemptive justice. And the reality is it's both now and not yet. That's the, that's my phrase for the kingdom of God It's both now and not yet. It's now in that we, we get a taste of it. We we're meant to live for it. We're meant to live by these rules and ideals. And yet it's not yet perfect. We still strive toward it. I brought another piece of show and tell today. And, uh, this is, this is my show and tell. And it's from our time in El Salvador. I don't know if you can see that. It's a simple cross with a, a painting on it. And I'd love to tell you the stories of El Salvador and what we learned. What we did was almost inconsequential, honestly. I mean, the people in El Salvador, they know how to build houses. <laughs> they got all the materials. They taught us a lot about what they needed to do. Um, we were invited to come alongside as, uh, alongside as learners, and we needed to learn the lessons that we did while we were down there, and it was so important. And a lot of the lessons had to do with justice. Uh, I remember one time we were sitting on side of the hill having some lunch as we were building these houses in this uh, beautiful place called Alegria. It was a place that had uh, faced a um, devastating earthquake, and families were living in tarps and under shelters for almost 11 years. And there had been several agencies that had come through to rebuild houses, including Habitat for Humanity, which did great work. But they could only help those who actually had title to the land. All the rest were not allowed to build. And so what CBM did, along with our partners, and with the mayor of Allegria, Moises Funes, is they worked to give title to the land to those who were most vulnerable, to these families all living in this one region. And the powers that be were so angry at this mayor that they actually assassinated him. uh, Just a a month or so before we went down for one of our our trips, just along the side of the road, because they were determined to keep the poor in the cycle of poverty. But thankfully, the new mayor that came up continued the work and continued to give the, uh, the possession of the land to those who were most vulnerable so they could build and have clear title to it. That's a justice issue. That's going upstream and fixing the system, right? One time, sitting for a break, uh, we learned that one of the girls in the household that we were working with, uh, she wasn't able to go to school, and we we're wondering, why can't you go to school today? I mean, it, it was actually free, but you had to have shoes in order to go to school, and she had several brothers, and only certain pairs of shoes in the family, and so the boys got the shoes. You see, it's an issue of justice, right? And so Christine has small feet. So she said, here are my shoes. The boys won't fit these. And uh, that's an issue of justice, isn't it? And so at the end of our time there, our time of learning and working alongside these families, they gave me and Christine this cross, which was painted. And you can see uh, the houses. Uh, it represents the houses that were built and symbols of new life and hope and resurrection all are around it. Right in the middle, though, is the church, and, and we did build a center of witness there for them as well, because that was their request. And there's this tree, and the tree is pulled right out of Revelation and uh, chapter uh, 22, and I'm going to read it for you right now, because even though we strive to just toward justice right now, the final vision of justice comes when Jesus returns. And Revelation chapter 22 says this, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the lamb down the middle of the great street of the city on each side of the river stood the tree of life um, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. What a beautiful image that we have that's captured. We Are living in a time when we're called to justice and we've been equipped by God through Jesus Christ in order to pursue that calling. And yet we know that it won't be perfect in this lifetime, not until Jesus returns again. So until that time, may justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never failing stream. And may we be caught up in a good sense in that current, in that flow. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the challenge of your word written thousands of years ago and yet becomes fresh and new today because while our human condition is the same we still find ourselves in sin pursuing our selfishness. Forgive us for that. But thank you that you stepped in where we couldn't. That you sent Jesus even though we couldn't imagine what he would do and that on the cross you became not only just, but the justifier of those who believe in you. Father, we believe in you today. We trust in you. And we ask that you'd make us instruments of your peace and justice in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.